Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Believe in SoCal High School Sports Podcast, powered by the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Connor Morissette. Believe has shows dedicated to all of your favorite L.A. sports teams. Our shows are available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember to rate and subscribe. Today I'm sitting across from Miran Fader, a staff writer at Bleacher Report. Miran, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. So let's start with your high school writing roots, because you were at the Orange County Register for a few years before you got the big break at Bleacher Report. And you're doing amazing things now, so we're going to get to all the stories that you've written lately, some incredible features. But you did start in high school. That's where I'm at right now. How would you say writing about high school has helped prepare you for where you're at now with Bleacher Report? Well, thanks for that. I I think high school is great preparation, and I still write about high school athletes today because I feel like it's really important. I think, you know, when you're a young writer starting out, you need to be in situations where you mess up. And, you know, high school is the perfect place to practice, to make mistakes, and to learn what you're doing. Nobody knows what they're doing when they're first starting out, and so you need to talk with younger people to kind of gain confidence, feel good about what you're doing, and and honestly just learn how to report. One of my favorite stories that you've written came a couple years ago, and you wrote about the Fairfax and Westchester basketball rivalry, one of the best rivalries in all of Southern California. And you included Flea, which was such a cool detail about how he's helped Fairfax. And you went into detail about Westchester. And I remember one really specific cool detail about that story, because I hear when these guys play uh, two to three times a year, I always hear the cheerleaders with the miss it, boy, miss it. I remember <laughs> that really stuck out to me. So detail, being so detail-oriented when you're writing features seems to be really important, and that's something that you've kind of been, been doing for a while. As a high school writer, was that really important back then, would you say, as well? Definitely. I love that story. I appreciate you bringing it up because that story really did teach me about details. I think anyone who goes to a Fairfax-Westchester game or just a high school game, there's a closeness that you feel in these gyms. And it's such a family atmosphere. It's such a special atmosphere. And if you just sit and you take your notebook out and you observe and you see what's around you, you're going to find yourself mastering those details, getting those sounds. You want to make somebody feel like that you're there. Um, your job as a writer is to take what you're seeing with your eyes and paint a picture for the reader. And I see no better place to practice that than being in a smaller gym, being around community members. Just having the confidence to walk up to somebody and be like, what does this game mean to you is hard to do at first. But when you are when you put yourself in situations like that, that's how you get better. What were some of your favorite stories or memories from the Orange County Register days? Oh, man, my favorite story. So, uh, I covered Chapman University uh, as one of my beats. I I basically did a little bit of everything, but um, I noticed that the Chapman University coach was the only Chinese-American coach in the NCAA, and uh, I wanted to profile her. So I went into her office, and I said, help me understand you. You know, why are you the coach that you are? And she's like, you know, I still play, right? And I'm like, get out of here. Because, you know, I played and uh, basketball is my life. So I was like, okay, if I need to understand this woman and write the best profile I can on her, I'm going to lace up with her. And so we went to the gym and I was around her and her team. And I ended up, uh, she plays in a Japanese basketball league. And I ended up following that team for two years. And I wrote a story on them. Um, And I've tried to 
do other things with that story. And so I just fell in love with being in the gym and writing about basketball through that story. And it just made me realize, you know what, you really have to have a passion for this. There's no reason why I'm waking up and going to this gym on a Sunday, every other Sunday, but for the sheer love of reporting and getting better. And um, that taught me so much. Incredible. I had no idea. I'll have to check that story out. That sounds really interesting. And so from there, you had been freelancing with Bleacher Report and ESPN and SI for a little while. Fast forward a couple of years, you get hired by Bleacher Report, writing feature stories. It seems like a dream come true for you. When you were first hired for that, I know you went to Lithuania pretty quickly to do the LaMelo Ball story, but what were those days like very early on at Bleacher Report when you got this really big break? I'm sure you were really excited. Yeah, I was really excited. Um, they took me, they sent me uh, without being staff. Um, I thought that was an enormous opportunity. Um, you know, I basically said to myself, look, this is my passion. I'm going to pursue it. This is a hard industry, but I'm going to push it till I can't anymore. And once I got that break, I said to myself, like, okay, you're in it now. Now you got to perform, right? You're always waiting for the break. You're always waiting for the opportunity. But when somebody gives you an opportunity, you have to perform. And I think all those years of freelancing and grinding and you know, I wasn't staying out till 2 a.m. Like I was writing pieces and leaving at 10 p.m., you know, and waking up the next day and pitching new stories. All those years of grinding just really paid off in that moment. And I just was confident in myself and I knew that I was ready to perform. And so getting that opportunity was hard. It was a really hard story. Um, it challenged me more than any other story in my life. Um, but, you know, you want those challenges. Let's talk about the timing a little bit. So you weren't quite on staff yet, and then you write the story. It comes out in February of 2018, I believe, and incredible, incredible story. Still your pin tweet to this day, and I understand why. So what was the timing like in terms of that story comes out? When did you get hired by Bleacher Report full-time? I got hired in March 2018, okay. so essentially right after that. Um, Christina Tapper uh, was my editor, like my line editor at that time, and we had grown really close because I wrote for her for basically the year prior to that when I had been freelancing. And then Christina got promoted and she became our managing editor. She said, I've got one spot and I want to hire you. And I'm just like, wow, um, we're the only women, you know, and for her to say, I want to give you this opportunity. Um, I feel like you deserve it just meant the whole world to me. And so I know that everything that came next is so much because of her. Um, so it was just very meaningful because she stuck with me in Lithuania. <laughs> I called her every day for 24 days. Um, I was alone. I was by myself. I was going through enormous challenges reporting-wise, personally-wise. Um, and so for her to hire me after that just meant a lot. And clearly, you nailed the audition by doing so well in Lithuania. And of course, it was going to be challenging, but it sounds like you it really you know, kind of built you up a little bit and you, you made the most of the experience. So so that's great. Let's get into that article a little bit. I remember reading it a couple of years back and really loving it. And then I reskinned it today just to kind of remind myself of some of those details. And so the first thing, have you spoken to any of the balls since publication? Because I remember LeVar at that point was trying to make it out like, you know, we're going to Lithuania. This is going to be great. But you're writing obviously paints kind of a little bit of a different picture about how LaMelo maybe wasn't as challenged as he probably should have been by some of the coaches and didn't look like he was having fun because he was so far from California, of course. So what was kind of the response from them after writing that? So the weirdest thing is there was no response. Really? Uh, it was insanely weird. I stayed up the whole night prior because I thought 
this is when LeVar is going to like at me and everyone is going to come at me and I'm going to have all these BBB people in my mentions. And my editor told me to delete Twitter off my phone. <laughs> so we were like preparing for this like LeVar storm and it just never happened. Um, and I don't know why to this day, perhaps because it was a fair article. It wasn't coming from a place of slander. It was just like, hey, I really saw what this was this boy is kind of a tragic figure um and also lavar you're complex you're not all good you're not all bad and i showed all sides of these people and so maybe that's why i didn't get anything but i sort of want to do like the sequel on mellow i'm just waiting for the right opportunity i just i don't think his prep school was the right opportunity it seemed like a similar thing and i don't want to write the same story twice i'm sure they will absolutely not let me go near them <laughs> but uh maybe if he's in australia or the g league did you talk to Lamel at all? Like no, right? Yeah. No. So, so what's it like to write a big feature story in a foreign country about someone you can't talk to? Because you observed him so much, and we get that in the article. But obviously, there aren't quotes. But it seems like you did talk to him a little bit because it's you learned so much about just kind of his well being and what he was doing. How tough was that? I mean, I really appreciate you saying that because it was insanely tough. I didn't get a minute with him, um, and it, it just really forced me to redefine what access means. You know, I thought access means I talk to you, but this was like, wait, actually I have a front row seat to everything that's going on. Like I snuck into practice. That's the only reason why I was able to go to practice. You weren't allowed to be in there. The only people that could be in there was the Facebook crew because they were doing their reality show. But I just convinced them. I kind of, as you can see, I'm very short. I kind of played into that like, oh, like I'm just here, you know, I'm just this random woman. Like I, I kind of played into that a little bit. And I even was like, oh, I don't need to have my notebook out. I'll just like stay in the corner. And so I just kept showing up day after day. And it turns out I had enormous access. I mean, I saw everything that happened. And so um, it was really tough because I'm painting a picture of sort of like this boy whose childhood has been stripped by him and I can't even ask him about that but at the same time I don't think it would have added anything and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way I just mean you're not gonna get him at this stage in his life being like you're right this blows like I hate the fact that I'm stuck in this awful situation he's not gonna say that it's almost more powerful that I don't get him I think that most of sports writing is write arounds um, we have a joke at Bleacher Report they call me the write around queen <laughs> because I either get uh, five minutes of access or no access on, you know, multimillionaire stars. And I have to somehow put together a quality story. And so um, I've begun to think about write arounds, not talking to the star as just reporting. You're going to interview 20 people and you're going to have to grind it out and you're going to have to do whatever you can do to make this story interesting. So this wasn't the first time or maybe there have been instances since then where you haven't had full access. OK, that's interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, I had three minutes with Sean McVay to do a profile on him when he was first at the Rams and it was the most exciting thing ever. I had like no time with him. Um, yeah, Aaron Donald, I <laughs> I had like seven minutes maybe. Um, most people I don't. Most people I don't get access. Um, and I think that's really at the state of our industry. But uh, you you just learn that it's about over it's about over reporting. Like I think that's a great compliment if somebody says you over report. I'd rather over report and do too much than not. Because, you know, my mindset is like, okay, you know, there's probably people that are better writers than me. There's probably people that are, you know, better reporters than me. But absolutely nobody is going to outwork me. Going back to Lithuania, did the Ball family know you were coming? Or you mentioned how you kind of snuck into practice. Did you just 
kind of show up or what happened there? You know, we actually were in touch with them before. Okay. So, so they had an idea. Yeah, absolutely. And they that's that's the ironic thing about the whole thing is that um, Harrison Gaines, the, the whole team agreed to this. I was supposed to follow Mello around for an entire month, literally 31 days, and they said yes to it. That's the only reason Bleacher sent me over there. And then when all the stuff went down with the ESPN article about, um, you know, LeVar's comments about Luke Walton, they basically shut down all media. And thank God I had interviewed LeVar the day prior on the second day that I was there in the lobby. I was just went up to him and I was like, hey, can I talk with you? Um, because they absolutely shut out everyone else and all the other reporters went home and I stayed. So it really sounds like a kind of a perfect situation. <laughs> we talk about access so much in journalism who can get the access and if all the other reporters are leaving and you're the only one there you made the most of that situation so that is certainly incredible thank you for answering some of those questions because i really wanted to know how that all kind of went down and after reading it a couple times now i have a much clearer idea so i really appreciate that and we'll see if you can write the sequel i hope <laughs> we'll he, see. he makes it to the nba i guess we'll wrap up uh, this topic with that question do you think he has a shot in the nba i think the latest espn 2019 rankings came out today and they had him at number 20 can he play in college there's some I don't think he can but there's kind of some talk maybe he'll have a chance to do that just what do you think his ceiling can be I think he's got great upside I do think he could be in the NBA I think that he's just never been in a system where his dad yeah. hasn't controlled his play so but he has I mean he's really similar to Lonzo in a lot of ways he has tremendous court vision he has a lot of potential for defense his shot selection needs a lot of work um, but again that comes from just being able to do whatever you want and chuck 40 footers but I think that like his body um, the way it's going to transform and grow and get more physical will really be a deciding factor so I, he definitely has a shot and he's top 20 in the country so anytime you're that highly ranked it's not a surefire sign you'll make it but he'll certainly have an opportunity this year at the Final Four, you went to Minneapolis, and I saw you tweeted it was the first time you covered the men's Final Four. What was that experience like? That was so fun. It was my birthday over there, too. So um, I just felt like, wow, you know, this thing that I've loved, this sport that I've loved since I was 10 years old, um, just being that girl, like, always dribbling a basketball, it's like, wow, I, I actually got to this point, you know, because you don't, you don't really ever take in the moment because you're, so, um, you're so stressed about your work because you want it to be great and you want to strive and you don't ever like slow down for a second and take a moment and realize what you're doing. But that was just really cool to be in a situation where I could kind of say, okay, like, wow, I've worked really hard to be here and like, I'm allowed to enjoy this. So. Great. I'm glad you were able to. That brings up, I know some people when they covered the Super Bowl for the first time, they're like, wow, you know, you kind of take a step back. So it sounds like you had kind of a similar situation there. That sounds really great. You wrote a story before uh, the Final Four on Kentucky's Tyler Hero, who recently declared for the NBA draft. And it was all about how he's faced a lot of adversity ever since decommitting from Wisconsin and just a ton of crap went his way. And his dad was pretty tough on him. And I thought you told that story really well. Coach Cal, on the other hand... <laughs> didn't think so. I saw uh, in a quote tweet from you, he said, that story's poison. Don't read it until after the season. <laughs> so when a coach and a big name coach has that to say about something you've written, what were your thoughts after he said that? That was hilarious. I put the embarrassed emoji because what other face was I making at that time? It was just, it was crazy because, you know, I thought Coach Cal and I had a great conversation. I thought the article was, um, it wasn't bad or anything, no. so um, it was just kind of hilarious. I was like, "Oh my God, he actually did he read it? Who knows?" You know, so it was it was funny. And you had a similar, not to that extent, but Roy Williams kind of subtweeted you. You mentioned so. 
I'm not at that level as a journalist yet, but I'd imagine I'd really take that hard, I think. That might kind of mess me up a little bit. How are you able to kind of take that with a grain of salt and, and keep going? Because obviously you want these coaches to like you, give you access, and you'll have a chance to tell stories with them in the future, but that's all kind of part of the whole journalism thing. So how are you able to keep going and not get too down after that? I imagine it's pretty tough. Well, it's weird because both of the stories were extremely fair mm-hmm. and you know, obviously well-reported and generally the athletes came off as positive. So it was very awkward that both of them had an issue. But um, I think I don't really care because it's, it's like, it's, it's not about me. I think that's what, unlike, you know, so many other journalists or, you know, people in our industry, I think there's this tendency to be like, look at me. I have so many followers. I'm so popular. And I've just honestly never cared about that. And so it's not about me. It's about the subject. And that's why you'll rarely see in my stories, like the eye of me being the narrator. I only did that one time. Um, And so, yeah, I just think I just sort of laugh about it and and keep it moving. Like what matters is delivering good work. Have you ever had any issue with a coach or a player more than just kind of a social media or a little jab from Coach Cal saying it's poison? Has anyone ever confronted you or said, hey, I didn't think that story was fair or anything? Or for the most part, has it been pretty fair from you and it's been not no situation like that's come up? Yeah, no, I've never had that happen. Because um, you see with Russell thankfully. Westbrook yeah. like oh in my the God. Thunder these days, he didn't like what the writer said and you know just kind of saying next question and stuff. So I'm glad you've never experienced that. We'll yes, see uh, same. in the future if you get a cranky athlete or coach <laughs> or something. So, Miran, you seem to be doing exactly what you want to do, which is really cool, writing feature stories for a big-time publication. Just how does that feel? Because you're still really young, and to kind of get to, I don't want to say the pinnacle of the profession, because I'm sure you still have really big goals and there's other things you want to do, but you set out a goal, you wanted to write sports features, and you're doing it for for Bleacher Report, one of the biggest companies out there. How does that feel? It must be incredible. Well, I really appreciate you saying that. It's very kind of you. Um, I... I really love what I'm doing, you know, like it's, I think what I feel is just that I'm, I'm happy that I didn't give up because there were a lot of moments where I could have given up where I was not, you know, chosen. Like (laughs) you lose a job here. You are struggling for a chance here. I mean, people, yeah, I'm young, but you know, there were a lot of years where People were not reading my stuff. Nobody was saying she's good. And you know what? I'm glad they weren't because I'm the type of person that likes to grind in silence and just go about my stuff. And I think to be here now, it's like I realize, you know what? This isn't a job for me. This isn't my career. Yes, it is both of those things, but it's really my passion. And so, you know, I think I feel so lucky that Bleacher has given me this opportunity. You know, there's a lot of editors there that really support me and we live in an age where there are not a lot of editors out there there's just not and you know I work with people that really believe in me and believe in what I want to do and support me you know there were times earlier in my career where me being me which is oh my god I want to do this story oh my god I got five pitches for you oh my god you don't like those I got three more coming tomorrow that was not always taken well it was seen as like you're too much you're too ambitious know your role stay low but Bleacher allows me to be excited and they really nurture my passion so I'm just I'm so grateful that's great and you can talk as much about this as you'd like but on these journeys I'm really interested when I talk to writers or people who have really made a, or done a good job and kind of started from 
like you said, covering high school for the Orange County Register, and you know they have a cool arc. So I'm interested in the lows a little bit more specifically. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned people maybe weren't reading your stuff, or higher ups were saying you're, you know, you're too ambitious. If you want to, what were some more kind of specific low points where you thought, well, clearly this is your passion, so I don't think you ever thought, you know, I don't want to do this, but everyone gets down. What were some times where you were kind of down and maybe questioning just the whole industry and just, you know, am I doing the right thing? Yeah, I mean, I've had editors just straight up say, like, you're not you're not that good. Or like, hey, like this one editor was like, you know, we have a lot of guys that are better than you, right? And uh, that's hard. That's painful. You know, when people don't believe in you or don't believe in your vision, um, you know, going through layoffs at the register, um, having to reroute my life, feeling like I don't have a shot in this industry anymore, going freelance, being like, I'm grinding so hard right now. Like, why doesn't anyone give me a shot? Like, okay, I'm freelancing, but why won't these people hire me? You know, I'm close to my dream, but I'm so far from it. I'm in the room. I'm in the party. I'm not at the it table. I'm not at the center of it. Like, what do I have to do to prove myself? And there was just so many moments where, like, I was like, do you really want this? Because, like, if you don't, walk away because it's too hard and I was always just like absolutely not like I'm not walking away like I'm not giving up on this and you know there were so many times like facetiming my best friend or my parents and just you know so many tears like okay like how can I make this dream happen it's not happening um and just staying patient and just believing in in my stuff you know I've always wanted to do features but you know, early on, that was not looked at highly. It was, why don't you want to cover games? Why don't you want to be a beat writer? Or just being like always the only woman in every room and just having people just assume you don't know what you're talking about or, you know, um, look at you like you're a kid because I am really short and I do look really young and just having people just count me out time and time again. But, you know, I experienced this so much in my basketball career as always being underestimated, always being the underdog. And so to be honest, like that helped create the person that I am and it helped me have empathy towards the athletes that I interview. And so I just looked at it like, I'm going to keep grinding. I'm going to keep working. So yeah, there are a lot of lows, but I'm going to keep working. And I think people don't understand that now is like, yeah, it's hard. Like this job is hard. Um, you, you know, I put a lot of pressure on myself. I want every article to be great and I'm not close to being great and I want to be. And I think, um, dealing with that is hard. And so, yes, I'm so grateful for this opportunity and where I'm at, but there's always lows. There's always difficulties. Thank you for that. I really appreciate that insightful response. And you've certainly worked really hard to get there. So I'm happy for you, but Really, really thanks so much. Would you say the Lithuania experience, I know you'd written for Bleacher Report before, but is that kind of what propelled you for sure to be the full-time Bleacher Report staff writer? Do you think that kind of audition was, you know, your chance and you, you nailed it and here you are? Would you Is that safe to say or do you think you'd built up a relationship prior to that where that was just kind of the tipping point? Maybe the latter. Okay. I think it was um, timing and luck Mm -hmm. and and Christina being hired, being promoted. But I think it was also, they got to know me for about a year and a half prior. They got to work with me and see that I was determined. And so I just think we already had that relationship. So luckily a spot opened. Who are some mentors that you've had along the way? You mentioned the Bleacher Report editor, and it sounds like she's done amazing things for you. I see you interact with some other writers on Twitter in terms of just people you look up to. 
Could you fill me in on some of those names and faces? Oh, man, I'm so grateful for the mentors. I don't know who I'd be without them, for sure. Christina Tapper, as I mentioned. Um, Jeff Perlman, um, he, he's like family to me. I mean, I've known him for so long. Um, he has truly been there through every down moment. Um, so many times I called him, and he was just like, keep going, keep going. All the things I know about details and reporting, he taught me that. So I can't even take credit for that. That's all him and his genius. Um, at Bleacher, I'm so fortunate. I work with, you know, Howard Beck, Jonathan Abrams. Um, I mean, how how awesome is that? They're just two of the best. Um, so they, they're, they're always helping me. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm lucky to have those people. Certainly. And we talked about this a little bit before uh, we turned the microphones on, and you mentioned it, how – a lot of times you're the only woman in the room. Has that brought out any embarrassing, awkward, rude situations where you've been kind of on the end of something that if you were a man probably wouldn't have happened? Yeah, quite often. Uh, it's hard because you you can't react and uh, you basically have to pretend like it doesn't happen when it happens because if it if you react, they're like, see, like, you don't belong here. See, you're not good enough. And then there's always the fear of, like, if I do make a mistake, oh, like, this is why we can't have women and blah, 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 blah. Um, but I think that it's also just, I don't know, there's the smaller things that I always tell. I get a lot of young girls that reach out to me, and I always tell them, you're going to have your smaller moments, those things that are very annoying and awful, and I wish you didn't have to go through them, and you're going to have bigger moments, and the bigger moments are going to test you. And I think, I think I've think i been tested with both of them. I just feel like, aside from all the things I've gone through with that, and like I mentioned, like I've had male editors be like, yeah, these dudes are way better than you, but... Um, I'm just surprised that there's so few women in writing right now. Like, I thought there would be more. Um, because there's so many phenomenal women that have come before me, like Ramona Shelburne, Dana O'Neill, and um, there's all these. But it seems like when I go to my Association of Women in Sports Media Conference, a lot of young women want to go into TV. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I wish there were more women going into writing. Certainly. And I agree. You look at Ramona Shelburne, who is an L.A., woman who started the daily news and she's worked her way up but you're right i know i've had Haley sawyer on this podcast who writes in santa clarita covering high school sports but in terms of other people who i see day to day covering high school sports around here it's Haley, and there really aren't any other women besides her and who people i come across so i i think that's a good point in terms of women writers right now there aren't that many and hopefully you can inspire people and hopefully. continue to be a, a trailblazer because i think you know you're doing such a great job and I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to follow you with that. Let's talk women's basketball, Mirren. We saw today CBS announced a deal with the WNBA. You've written many stories about WNBA players, uh, NCAA players, and women's basketball. Today is a great day for women's hoops. What do you think the future of the sport in the country looks like? Oh, my God. Today is so awesome. I can't believe that happened. Yeah. I'm, I'm very shocked, to be honest. Um, but this is what this is what women need. We need people to invest in us and believe in us. Nothing is going to happen until people, number one, understand the vision. Number two, implement things to help the vision. Number three, execute the vision. And so to have a deal like this is just, it's an incredible step forward. Um, you mentioned like covering the WNBA. And I, I've been told so many times in my career, like, you're not going to get very far if you cover women. And I've always covered women just to kind of like spite them. Be like, <laughs> no, like women's stories matter. I'm going to tell them. So I'm very happy for the league. So the TV deal is just kind of one step in, I think, 
uh, and what I think a lot else needs to happen. In terms of your opinion, what do you think to make the game more relevant? This will clearly help, but we still see on social media, ESPN posts something about the WNBA. There are just so many derogatory comments. What do you think needs to happen in the future to kind of bridge the gap between male basketball and women's basketball? This is a start, but what else do you think needs to happen? Well, you've got to have jerseys being accessible. I mean, what good is loving Candace Parker when you can't even find anywhere to buy her jersey? I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, So visibility goes for a lot of different avenues visibility in jersey sales visibility in when are the games on tv like i I think some people don't even know that twitter could do a lot you know to continue to help support women and um you know what really companies have to decide like we want to cover these athletes you know and we need to look at them as athletes so covering WNBA doesn't just mean hi i'm gonna write about like the struggle of being a woman it just means like oh you're a badass like you have amazing handles i'm gonna write about your handles like the story doesn't always have to be like the plight of the woman um so i think it's just more coverage from media as well um women athletes receive about four percent of the total coverage how how are they supposed to grow or get better if they're not being covered so you know it's going to take not just the the one woman at your company writing it you know a lot of these men who support women on twitter and be like you know support the WNBA. it's like well where is your feature and then don't just pop in for one feature a summer Make it part of your regular pitching routine. And you mentioned the plight. One story that's about a plight right now, Brianna Stewart having to go outside the WNBA playing abroad to get more money, and she tears her ACL, and it was either the last game of the year or one of the last ones. And she, for a lot of people, is one of, if not the face of the league. And seeing that, I think, hurts women's basketball. The fact that a lot of these women, they don't get paid enough to just play here in America, and then you go overseas, and God forbid something happens like it does with Stort, that's just a, a terrible situation. So hopefully, with this TV deal and as stuff continues, there's more money in the game, and we won't see that, because if people just kind of disappear and play across the country, and they have a chance to get hurt, then you know, that's not really good for the game either. So I hope that changes, and we'll see. Do you think that'll maybe change in the future with with the TV deal, or it's tough to know? I mean, I think, first of all, I'm glad people... Because this is something we've been talking about for a while as far as, like, women having to go overseas. But I think it takes something like this for people to Mm -hmm. truly understand, like, hey, guys, this really sucks. Like, why are we doing this? Um, But nothing's going to change unless not just TV but outside um, companies invest. Like, you need partnerships with legitimate sports people to increase your revenue. There's – unless people are investing, they're not going to make any money. It's like the chicken or the egg. So – TV is a great step forward, but there's a whole lot that has to come next. And um, it's amazing that WNBA has survived this long, but I just think we're at that point where it's like, okay, well, surviving isn't enough. How would you say Bleacher Report does in terms of covering the WNBA? We could do a lot better, for sure, like every outlet. Um, again, I, I'm i covering it, and so I feel good about that. I feel positive about that. But, you know, we we definitely could do more. You know, there could be other other people covering it. And um, that's something we talk about often um, from our social team to our, you know, editorial team. Like we're trying to not just create articles, but content on Twitter and basically say, you know, F the kitchen people. Because, you know, every time there's a woman's thing, they're like, go back to the kitchen, make a sandwich, kitchen memes. It's like, can you be a little more original with your misogyny? Um, but <laughs> so I think um, Bleacher is just saying like, you know, we don't really care about that. We're going to we're going to try more. That's great. And I hope we continue to see more switching gears a little bit again. 
I saw you tweeted on New Year's Eve how you hope to get better at writing this year, constant improvement, like anyone in any field, you know, you want to get better every day. What are some steps in your day-to-day life that you take to try to become a better writer? Yeah, I think we all, you know, are continually getting better. Mm -hmm. Like, there's never going to be a place where you arrive and you're like, I'm great. Like, you know, (laughs) it's about the chase for it, not Mm -hmm. really ever reaching it. But um, so what do I do? I read. I love reading. I read about a book per week. Um, there's just there's just so much out there to read, and I would say read a lot of non-sports writing because um, you want to learn how to like pace a narrative, describe a person, get to the meat of the story. Like these are things that you learn from reading other things besides sports. Um, another thing I've done, which people find really weird, I'll just like go to a coffee shop and I'll just take out my journal and I'll just write about the people I see and wow. I'll, I'll just practice describing them or, or I'll just like invent a story. Like, like one time there was this couple there and I was, they were like arguing and I was like inventing a whole backstory and it, it was kind of fun. Um, so do that. I mean, you know, to practice getting better. And I also think, you know, finding and having friends that support you helps you become a better writer. You know, you're too close to it. And also you're emotionally invested in it. Your friends are not like they want to see you succeed, but they don't they're not like every sentence is not like their heart on the page, you know. So just being open with sharing your work is a really vulnerable thing. But you have to have people in your life that you can turn to and be like, what do you think about this? Or, you know, so that that makes me better. If anyone doubted your writing passion before, that coffee shop anecdote, <laughs> I'm sure they, they can't do it now. That's incredible. Really, really interesting. What are some of your favorite books that you've read? Oh, my all-time favorite book is Toni Morrison, Beloved. Oh, my God. That book devastated me in a thousand ways. Uh, I've read it so many times I can't even. I just – there is no more important book in America than that book. Um, and aside from – all of the reasons it's nationally relevant, culturally relevant. It's written so beautifully that I just I'm astounded every time I read that book. Um, yeah, that's that's my favorite. Great, thank you. You've spoken at a lot of colleges. You've won a lot of awards recently for your writing. People have noticed. You mentioned how a couple of years ago people weren't reading. They're reading now. What do those experiences and those honors mean to you? It must be really nice. Man, I'm so grateful. Uh, I kind of can't believe it. Um, I don't know. I, I just, yeah, I'm really grateful that people are realizing that. And, you know, even without those, it wouldn't matter. I would continue to work hard. And, um, you know, I think it's it means a lot when your peers respect you because, you know, you you grow up and you you read all these other people and their work and their award-winning work and you're, you want to be like them. Um, so it's just, it's nice to be recognized. But, you know, awards... Awards don't make a writer, you know. A writer makes a writer. You have a dream gig right now, but in terms of the future, is there any publication that you've always wanted to write for or anything that – you're so young, you can do whatever you want. Is there stuff that you kind of have big lofty goals for the future? What do you want to do down the road? Well, I love your optimism, and I'm going to take that forward (laughs) through the rest of 2019. Um, But I want to be a book writer. Um, I've gotten close, but then, you know, it's not right or the idea is good but it's not going to sell or this one's going to sell but I don't love it and I don't want to sell out and this agent's cool but is he really going to do this for me so there's been all these like situations that I've been in to get closer to that but I'm not quite there but you know a book is something you don't want to rush um apparently if you don't sell your your 
if you don't sell a lot in your first book, there's not going to be a second book. Okay. So um, it's a lot of pressure, and finding the right idea is really hard. There's so many ideas that I've tried to pitch as books, um, like what I would call like soul ideas that are um, that I care about, that are really important, but they are not a famous person's story, and therefore it's not marketable or commercial enough for book sales. So I'm just trying to figure out like how can I find that story that I'm passionate about that is also sellable. Um, so hopefully I can be an author someday. So would you want to, would it be a sports book? What, where are you thinking with that? It's going to be a sports book, uh, sports nonfiction. Okay. Uh, so yeah. And that's why Jeff Perlman is so cool to have as a mentor. Cause that's what he does. He writes books. He writes New York times bestsellers. Um, and I just, I envy his catalog. I, I want to have that one day. Mirren, thank you so much for your time. I, I really appreciate it. This was a great discussion. She's Mirren Fader, a staff writer at Bleacher Report. Thank you so much. And uh, I'm excited to edit this and, and get it posted. This has been great. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.